Morning. Um, those of you join us, joining us online, I've only had the, really only done that twice, and it, it, it's, it's, it's good, the production's great, but it's not the same as being here. So if you're local, and you're watching, joining us online, and you want to come out, we've got food uh, free in about half an hour, uh, carnival games for your kids, uh, fellowship, just hanging out, it's a beautiful day, I guess it's going to be a little bit muggy, so wear shorts. Um, I, I do want to... I do want to let those of you watching online and those of you here overhearing it, uh, we have a new service. Uh, it's, we started it last winter. It's coming in. Uh, we took, took a break this summer. We're relaunching um, next week, 1030 a.m. in the original sanctuary. It doesn't look like the original sanctuary anymore. Uh, but I want to invite you. If, if, 10, what did I say? I said 1030? In my head, I was going to say 1015. I hope that, Lord, not the rest of this. Not, I want to... Um, uh, at 10.15, it will go from 10.15 to about 11.30. And if you're watching online and you see, I don't know if you often see the congregation, how, how many people are here. If that just looks intimidating to you and the rest of you too, um, we got a new service starting and it's going to be more intimate. And it's not, we're not checking IDs at the door. It's not just for certain age groups. But we know that we need some people with some wisdom and some, uh, just that, that calmness that comes with age. Uh, so if any of you are wondering, you hear that, you got a little, uh, little like maybe, maybe, and you're just waiting to hear someone say it one more time, we'd love you and anyone there to join us. Make that your home. Uh, if you're looking for a new way to minister to folks, a new way to engage with people, uh, just Check it out. Plus, here's the greatest part. Pastor Andrew, he's going to be the primary communicator in that service. So uh, he's leading it. He'll be preaching three out of four weeks. So if, you, if, if you're sick of me, go there. Um, now, one, one other thing before we get to the, to, to the sermon. Um, and this, I've not been asked to talk about this, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, last week, Lynn and I contributed $500 to the seminary fund. The seminary fund is a fund set up. We're not paying for everyone's seminary that, that comes to this church, that kind of thing. But uh, one of the things that that's, I hear people talk about churches, they don't believe the gospel anymore. Preachers don't preach the truth anymore, that kind of, and I get that. But we have some people in our church that are preparing either to do godly counseling or pastoral ministry and preaching. And the cost of grad school is prohibitive. And we've been asked uh, over the course of the summer, the last few months, to if you want to participate in that, participate in that. You can pick up a policy to see how we distribute those funds, what criteria we use. Uh, but I just wanted you to know that, that seeing some of these people we get to invest in in our church, um, it's, I'm just going to put my money where my mouth is. So I, we, Lynn and I just did that. We'll try to do something else before the end of the year. But if, if, if you think of a way that you can help the church, not just this church, the church, prepare leaders for the future, um, this is a, it's not the way, it's a way. And I just want to encourage you to consider it, to prayerfully consider how God might want to use you and your resources to help uh, at least alleviate some of the debt burden that people going into seminary come out with. So we'll leave it at that. I know that Kurt prayed for me and that's awesome. I love hearing him pray. But join me in prayer um, just to get my mindset focused on the scripture. Let's pray together. Lord, you're God, I'm not. You're God, we're not. We all know that. But it's your word that's being proclaimed. It's not my message for these people. It's your message for us. So, Lord, I ask for you to give me the demeanor, the cadence, the pace, the uh, intensity, or the softness, whatever it is that you want. I want, you, I want to deliver this message to your people the way you want it done. 
And Lord, I ask that you give us all ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are soft so that when, when we hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see, that it lands on our heart and it begins to change everything. We pray these things in Jesus' name for the glory of God our Father and for the sake of Christ. Amen. All right, we're starting a new series. And this series, it, we're calling it Life and Times. Uh, here's, we, when we were in Hebrews 11, that's the kind of the heroes of the faith uh, passage. We went back and we did most of the main characters in Genesis, but we stopped with Jacob. Now, this fall, we're going to be dealing with Jacob's son, one of his sons, all of his sons really, but Joseph. And we're going to walk through this. Now, I'm going to just, I'm going to summarize the story of Joseph that you might, if you're familiar with the scripture, you might know. But uh, what we're planning to do here is not just, not just the uh, 20,000 foot view where we see what God intended, but we're going to look at, we're going to try to get down in the mud a little bit. Because so often we remember stories of scripture, we remember the end but we don't really recognize the humanity in it and the pain that's in it and the struggle that's in it. Here's the summary that you might have heard in your days. Joseph, Jacob, by the way, Jacob was renamed Israel. Remember, he was the guy that wrestled with God and God said, because you've wrestled with God and with man and have not been overcome, um, I, you're no longer Jacob, you're now Israel. By the way, the author of, of, of Genesis interchanges Jacob and Israel. Same person, just so you know. Um, Joseph is his son. Here's how the story summary goes. Joseph... Daddy's favorite got a really pretty coat or robe, technicolor dream coat, you know. And, and uh, he was a tattletale. His dad loved him more than he was his favorite. He was a tattletale, and his brothers didn't like him very much. And so they decided that they were going to kill him. And then they decided, we're not going to kill him. We'll just sell him as a slave. So he gets sold as a slave, and he heads off to, to Egypt against his own will. He gets in trouble with Potiphar's wife. And he ends up in jail. He has some, something to do with a cupbearer and another and a baker in there and that kind of thing. And then, but at the end, there's a famine in the land. And in the end, God, uh, who intended this from the beginning, his brothers come to Egypt and they, because they're out of food, they're all going to die. They show up and they realize, they find out that Joseph, the one they sold, the one that they were going to kill, is now in charge of much. And he provides resources for the family and for the people of God in the future. What comes around goes around. You could look at it that way. Or you could look at it, Joseph's wonderful quote, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And I'm not mocking. That is, that's the 20,000 foot view. But it took a lifetime for God, for Joseph to be able to proclaim what you intended for evil, God intended for good. A lifetime, 40 or 50 years. Joseph is 17 years old when this story starts. 17 years old. And he's, he's well into adulthood Jacob is almost dead when it all comes to fruition. So we're going to walk through that. We're going to walk through it and we're going to try to give flesh to the bones. Remember that these Old Testament narratives, especially the book of Genesis, is, is, it's not, we read it. And that's awesome that we have the printed canon. But they were passed around orally, these stories. So the stories, the grandpa would sit and talk to his, his clansmen, and he would tell these stories. And so there's these little bits, and you just expect that, that, that each person, as they would communicate it, would, here's what God wants us to know, but imagine what it would be like if you were this person, if you were in that situation. And that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to try to ask, what was Jacob thinking? What was Joseph experiencing? What got into his brothers? So I'm going to read it. We'll pause about halfway through. We'll pause a couple of times to kind of clarify some things. Uh, but we'll get all the way through it and we'll come back and we'll just start asking some of those questions. It's an intro message, but I will challenge you with something today. It's something that, that Christians in the United States tend to struggle with. We, we, 
I don't think we decided intentionally, but we kind of have this idea that God's job is to make our lives more comfortable or easier. And the scripture is full of stories that say just the opposite. But there's hope. So it starts off here and it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan, that Isaac was his father. All right, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. Isaac, Jacob, Yeah, okay, here we go. I got in my own head there for a second. Now, whenever you hear a story about, um, it says, this is the story of, this is the story of Jacob. We're hardly going to talk about Jacob, but he's the patriarch. So everything that happens to his offspring are his story, his, his experience. And so we'll hear a little bit about Jacob, but we're not going to hear much. Jacob, Israel, remember, it, it, it uh, Interchangeably, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers and the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his brother's wives. And he, he brought their father a bad report about him. Now, we don't know if it's a bad report. It sounds like he's a little tattletale, like I, they weren't doing their job. And I don't know. It could be that, that, that someone came and raided the flocks and stole a bunch of them, and that's a bad thing. So he brought the bad report to his dad, and they were responsible for protecting the flocks, so it makes them look bad. We don't know. It could be that Dana, and then it could be that kind of thing. He's 17. He doesn't think more than 20 minutes in advance. What's going to make it better for me right now? That's Joseph, and that's his character. Now, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his, uh, any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. Now, see, these are just little tidbits. Here's, he brought a bad report. Jacob loved him more. And then it's, he had a dream. So these people, when they hear this story, they know, they know the characters. They know what's going on. They know because they've been, they've, they've been raised up hearing and knowing. And so he's just given us the bones and we're supposed to put flesh on it. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Listen to that term, hated him all the more. They already hated him. They hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding up sheaves of grain in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while the sheaves gathered around, while your sheaves gathered around me and they bowed down to it. Now just for any wisdom at all, would tell you, if, even if you know that God gave you this dream, any wisdom at all, if you have just a modicum of, of self-respect or humility, you'd go, hey guys, I had this weird dream and, and you know, a bunch of sheaves and, and one popped up and the others laid down and I don't know, it kind of felt my dream like that might have been me and you, but I just take it for what it's worth. But no, he says, mine jumped up and yours bowed down. I wonder why they hate him. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and they told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars, he had 11 brothers, 11 stars were bowing down to me. And by the way, the sun and the moon represent his dad and his mother, but his mother's been dead for the last seven years. So how, okay. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will, you, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. 
And his father kept this matter in mind. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley, or from the valley of Hebron. Now, I just got to set the scene for you a little bit. From Hebron which is just not far outside of Jerusalem, to Shechem, and I've been to both of these places, it's approximately, and I, it's approximately from here to Lansing. And from here to Lansing on 196 and then 96, hour, hour 45 tops if there's traffic, for him, four to five days. And it's not beautiful green pastures like you see in Byron Center, Right now, when you drive, when if you drive down 84th because of all the stuff that's going on on the highway, you drive down Byron Road and you get there, it's, it's, it's beautiful, deep, lush greens. The leaves are starting to change a little bit. You got the harvest going on. It's just gorgeous. Not what he was in. And we think desert, we just think sand. Now, picture the worst place in the world that you would want to walk barefoot. That's this place. And it's not just a straight path. It's craggy and you've got to climb over and you go through valleys and you, you're, you're in an arid area. It's just, it's, it's awful. Four to five days alone. Now picture just for a second, Joseph, his dad, he's daddy's boy, right? And dad says, hey, I want you to go. And he's already brought back a bad report in the past. So his dad says, I want you to go to your brothers in Shechem. Find out what's going on. Come back. So he's talking about 10 to 14 days of, of, of travel by the time he's there, he hangs out, he sees what's going on, and he comes back to dad. Now, Joseph, you know, if my dad said, I want you to head off to Lansing, find out what's going on with your, with your brothers, and then come back and let me know, okay. I can do that in an afternoon. For him, Joseph, he's got five, four to five days of walking, and then he's got to find them. So he walks. Now, just a mat, just, just, do you think it ever went through Joseph's head? He knows his brothers hate him, and he knows his brother loves him. Or his dad loves him. And he also knows that when he's with dad, dad protects him. And when he goes to be with the brothers, four to five days away from dad, no cell phones, no 911, no nothing. You think it crossed his mind? This isn't exactly what I had planned for this week. You think it crossed his mind that maybe this is not going to be a good thing? And then he's trying to convince himself, yeah, but they're afraid of dad. They're afraid of dad. They're afraid of dad. They're afraid of dad. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And Jacob, I hope he even at least thought that this might, because he sees what's happening with the brothers. I hope he at least thought, nope, I have enough faith in my sons that they won't do anything to him. So Joseph went off to the, from the valley of Hebron to Shechem. And then I'm going to tell you folks that these next couple of sentences are the absolute watershed point where this passage, it, it's the teeter-totter. If we don't have this, we don't know what God's trying to tell us. Seems I, I read right by it two weeks ago when I started studying this passage, and it, something bugged me. It kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. I'm absolutely convinced that this is imperative that we know. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Oh, they've moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. It's about another day's walk. Okay. This is weird. If you're, let's go back to 84th Street, uh, Byron Road. You're going, Byron Road, you're almost to Byron Center. And I don't know, I'm a wide open 
places kind of guy. I, that kind of, it just brings peace to my heart when I see these rolling hills, that kind of thing. Not the huge mountains, that's my wife and my kids. I just like farmland and wide open spaces or flowing rivers. That's my thing. So right before, if you're on Byron Road and you're going to, to right before you get to Byron Center, there, at a crossroad, you go by this crossroad and there's this over on your left, if you're driving that way over here, there's just this field of grass where they must, gra- they must graze cattle or something because they don't grow anything, but it's just this huge rolling hills. It's wide open. They don't mow it, but I look at that and I just go, oh, just makes my heart sing. But if you take that picture, and I'm cleaning it up because it didn't look green. You take that picture for four days. The chance meeting the chance that you're going to see another person that you don't know you're not looking for, you don't know where he's going to be, that you're going to wander across and find someone or that that person's going to find you. It says here that he saw Joseph was kind of lost, is actually the Hebrew. And, and, and he, he approaches him, number one, that's dangerous because you don't know who this person is back then. And number two, where, where are you going? Well, I'm looking for my brothers. You know where they went? Well, as a matter of fact... So days before, he had run into these 11 brothers, and they were grazing their sheep, and he happens upon them, maybe he needed a glass of water, I don't know, but he happens upon them, and they're smart enough to tell him where they're going. It didn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. People didn't trust each other when they're out in the middle of nowhere. So any other time in Scripture, this, account, this kind of encounter, this chance encounter, We would hear that this is an angel of the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army, or a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself. We don't get any of that here, but we can know this. God intended for Joseph to get to where he needs to be. God knew this was going to happen, knew the brothers were going to move, and made sure that Joseph found out where he was supposed to go. Not for good stuff, for difficulty, for betrayal for frustration, for being enslaved. This was God's intention. God could have prevented it if God did not want him to go and find his brothers and have them first try to kill him, then throw him into a cistern, and then sell him into slavery. If that is not what God intended, then this man, the story would have been, hey, yeah, what are you looking for? Your brother? Oh, yeah. They went off to Dothan. Now, well, hold. They aimed to kill you. So I want you to go back to dad and let him know. The Lord himself said to me, save Joseph. That's not what happened. Joseph sent him on, or God sent Joseph on, and it reads like this. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Come, now, let, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, cisterns, just so you know what they are, uh, in Israel, you know, this, this area of the, what used to be Canaan, um, it rains, rainy seasons, three to four months, and then it's arid. And there's, sometimes there's these crags that's kind of off of these wadis that, where the storm, come, storm waters come down. And it, and it erodes out and makes this big pool. And they've figured out how to make shade and stuff around them to keep that pool from, from evaporating. Otherwise, they dig out an area and they work channels in from the mountains to, to collect the water. And they, they plaster the inside so that it, the water doesn't seep through. So to hold it out to, to water their camels and their sheep and the Bedouin nature of their lives when they're out wandering around. And 
at whole, I've seen them. They're 18 to 30 feet deep. They're huge. And the and ingenuity, the engineering that was involved was amazing. So they all knew, these people knew where these different water sources were. And some of them, especially out where they are, for about a month, month and a half, they end up dry. So they're saying, let's kill them, throw them into the cistern. Um, and then Reuben, he's the oldest. He'd been in trouble before with dad. So he, I think he's trying to redeem himself a little bit here. He said, Reuben, uh, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. You can just see it, can't you? You ever been, a, you ever been in trouble with mom or dad? And you want to do something to get, you got a bad report card coming? So you over-obey at home? You know what I mean? Or husbands, if you're in trouble, you're in the quote-unquote doghouse. Suddenly those dishes get done real quick, don't they? So you're vacuuming just for the joy of it. Make sure her car is full of gas. Just trying to get back on the good side. That's what Reuben's doing. Whether he cared about his brother, I don't know, but he's been in trouble with dad and he, want, and he doesn't want to lose his inheritance. He doesn't want to lose the blessing that's going to be passed down to him. He's going to get double what all the other guys get because he's the firstborn. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stopped him. Uh, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into, a, into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty there's no water in it. And when they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, the father of the nation Judah, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay, our, not lay our hands on him. And after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. In other words, I got a new idea. I'm going to get some money out of this. So when the Midianites, and I don't know if you noticed that, Ishmaelites to Midianites, it all of a sudden changed. Ishmaelites, just, you don't need to know this, but it's kind of cool. Stock, Stockbrokers and investment bankers. The bankers are the Ishmaelites. They're the ones that, they, they don't get their hands dirty, but they, they decide where the money goes and what kind of stuff, you know, we're going to trade. And the Midianites are the traders. They're on the Chicago Board of Trade, the Mercantile Exchange, the New York Stock They're the ones down in the pit doing all this with their hands and buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, and the papers are flying. That's the Midianites. They're the merchants, and the owners are the Ishmaelites. But the Ishmaelites and Midianites are actually kin to Jacob and his family. In fact, the, 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 the patriarchs of the Ishmaelites and Midianites are likely uncles to, Jake, uh, to Joseph and his brothers. And by the way, the 12 brothers, Joseph and the 11 brothers on top, they're the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the patriarchs of everything that God's going to build. God knows in order for his plan to come to fruition, something needs to happen to rescue these people in the future from the famine that's coming. And so he's orchestrating this thing, sending this stranger to, to send him on his way. He even allows what he could have prevented by allowing the brothers to, to not only to try to kill him and not just to, to leave him to die in the cistern, but now to sell him into slavery that's going to take him to Egypt. When Reuben, excuse me, so, they, so when the Midianites and merchants came, uh, his, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben, that's the oldest brother, returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers. The boy isn't there. 
Where can I turn now? And then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe into the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether this, we might think it might be Joseph, but you check. You gave it to him. And he recognized it and he said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and he mourned for his son many days. All the sons and the daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, in grief, in mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. So in other words, I'm going to be this way the rest of my life. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. There's a ton going on here. But our purpose today is to show you God's intent. It is obvious from the story that God's intention was that Joseph be sent to his brothers, that they turn on him, and that God makes sure that Joseph got to Egypt And he knows what's coming for Joseph, but Joseph doesn't. So imagine if you're Jacob. I I put myself in the story. When my son was home a few weeks ago, if Lynn was cooking dinner, and I'm not not the cook, and you'd be glad. I mean, I know it's a traditional role, but she cooks well. I do English muffins. So but imagine if Lynn said to me, hey, we need some bread for dinner. And I said, Cam, you know, you're home. Take my truck. Uh, Would you head down to Meijer? And, And while he's on his way to Meijer... Someone runs a red light, crashes into the side of the truck, and kills him. God forbid. You think it would ever go through my head? Well, hey, whatever. Bummer. No. I'm gonna, why didn't I go myself? Why didn't I use shipped? <laughs> Did we really need another loaf of bread? I mean, for the next 20 years, I'm going to be going, I sent my son to his death. Now, that might not be, I'm not, maybe not be responsible. People say, it's not your fault. Say, things happen. But in me, no way. Now, imagine Jacob sending his favorite son, Joseph, into what ended up being his end, his demise, his death. Now, we know that Jacob, or Joseph's not dead, but Jacob does not. And imagine, I want you to see the allusion to Jesus in this. I'm not saying that Joseph's story is Jesus' story, but here's a man who loves his son, his beloved son, and he sends him off to do something for him, and he got killed for it, for God's purpose. God sent his only son, his beloved son, the one he loves most, the only one. He sends him off, so that to, to, and he ends up with people that are supposed to love him, like the brothers, supposed to receive him, supposed to listen to him, supposed to know who he is, and know that he's loved by God. And those people grabbed him, beat him, killed him. And even while Jesus is hanging on the cross, the purpose of God is manifest when Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he doesn't say these words, but it's an allusion to Joseph. What they intend for evil, you intend for good. Imagine if you're Reuben. He's the big brother. He's supposed to know better. He represents dad when dad's not there. Reuben, who tried, you've got to be thinking, what if I would have done? What if I would have? Why did I walk away? What, what, what if, 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 if? The guilt? And the other brothers. You imagine how long they have to lie? 
Remember who they told, what they told. How do you keep all your brother's mouth shut? Do you threaten them, threaten them, threaten them throughout your whole life? What if one of them decides, hey, I'm going to get in good with dad. So I'm going to go, dad, I got it. I mean, it's been oh, the guilt, the guilt. Yeah, we did it. We're all complicit, but it was his idea. And imagine if you're Joseph. You get a dream, two dreams from God that say, God's going to do great things through me. And you go and do something for dad, and you're a slave, either bound at the hands and following after a camel, or in one of those old wooden crate jail boxes that you see from the westerns. Weeks bouncing around on rocky, craggy soil with no shock absorption. You think that he was going, great is thy faithfulness. Or you think he was doing what a third of the David Psalms are doing? Why? Why? You made me promises. His own dad did that with God. He wrestled with him. He said, I'm not letting go. You go till you bless me. You promised me. You know that Joseph, 17 years old, cannot think more than 20 to 50 minutes in advance. He's sitting there and then he ends up being sold as a slave. Do you think that Joseph was thinking, oh, what they intended for evil, you intend for good? Of course not. Because he's human. So why did God allow or even orchestrate what he could have prevented? Because his job, his goal, his hope is for humanity, not just for this human. He's not building, he's building kingdoms. See, no one knows that the Israelites are the hope of the world yet. No one knows that these 12 tribes of Israel represent God's reign on this planet. No one knows yet that, that out of this bloodline, out of Jacob's bloodline, out of Joseph's bloodline is going to come the savior of the world. No one knows this, but God does. And God knows that in order for them to be rescued when famine hits, because he knows it's coming, he chooses not to prevent it. it Joseph has to, has to suffer. He has to be betrayed. He has to suffer. He has to, God has to develop his character so that when he could seek vengeance on his brothers, instead, he chooses not to curse, but to bless. He chooses not to hold a grudge, but to forgive. He, he, he has to develop Joseph in such a way that Joseph ends up with the heart of God instead of the heart of a vengeful 17 year and every right to be 17-year-old young man. God did not come in Christ to die and save you from your sins. To arrest, I love that line, by the way. And I know I'm, can't you just see Jesus down in hell with death down there? And hands behind your head, kick him out. Give me your arm, give me your, watch your head. He arrested death, took the sting out of it. But in order for him to get there, some people had to suffer. Do you think God wasted Joseph's pain? Did he waste Jacob's pain? Did he waste the other 11 brothers' guilt? No. And he won't waste yours either. The reason God allows some things that he could prevent is because he knows that character building things are stress, betrayal, hardship, pain. And he asks us to hold on to hope even when he allows things that he could prevent. He knows what he's doing. 
and your suffering, your pain, those who have betrayed you and what is done to you will not be wasted because he's building a kingdom and he's doing that through you and me. But he needs to make sure that we can persevere as he did. Now, I was at a Young Life golf outing this week. A guy called me up and said, do you want to play golf with me and so-and-so? And I said, yeah, if it works out. I don't play golf much, four times a year. He goes, okay, what's going on? September 11, $500. I played at Wasquan a couple times. It was free. <laughs> I don't know why they allow me at Wasquan. Take my hat off when I walk in. I know the deal. Lost my wedding ring there in the, when I washed my hands in the locker room. Okay. But I'm, I'm with this foursome, and one guy I've never met before, and, and there's a reason for this story, I promise, because it was, it was one of the most powerful God moments I've had in a decade. There's something that Lynn and I are just heartfelt prayers, like nothing's ever caused me to pray this way. And no, no one's sick or anything like that, but I'm sitting, talking to this guy, and he had an experience similar to what, what I'm praying through, and, and he, at the end, he had a, it was a wonderful experience with him, great conversations, great wisdom, but at the end, he said, a wise man once told me, if you have hope, actually, he said it like this, if you got hope, you got hope. That's kind of like saying if you're lucky enough to live on the river, you're lucky enough. If you have hope, you have hope. It's reminiscent of the author of Hebrews that says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because the one who promised is faithful. Folks, we don't know what hope is until it looks like we shouldn't have it, until it looks like everything has fallen apart. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you're not seeing. Folks, if you're in the middle of it, God won't waste it, I promise. He promises. If I'm in the middle of it, he will not waste my pain. Hold on to hope. And folks, if you don't have hope, hang on to someone that does. Because their hope will be enough. If they've got hope, you've got hope. But make sure you hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Whenever we baptize a child... We're doing something. We have no idea what the life of that child is going to be. But what's God's promise? I love him. I'm going to pursue him. And our hope and our prayer is that he will remain faithful to the promise he made. And he will somehow, some way, draw that child to him. How they build their testimony, we don't know. But God knows. And even though the visible sign of the covenant that I have with Lynn is gone, that ring, the covenant's still in place. The vows are still stand. And so no matter what you're going through, what you've been through, how painful it is, the covenant maker is still faithful. He's building something in you. He's building something in us. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Because that's all we have. Let's pray. Lord, build us, each individual person, this church, the church. Lord, we live in a world that is consumed with trading in fear, offense, anger, <laughs> division. But you call us to be peacemakers. You call us to be a calm, wise presence. 
And it's not just, Lord, that we have hope. We know hope. You are our hope. It's not just that we know the way, the path. We know you say you are the way. We know you. Your mercy, your grace, you are Savior and Lord, and we know you. Help us be ambassadors for you, holding on to hope, persevering when we need to, and rejoicing in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand up and receive God's blessing. Um, I'm just going to pray for the, for the meal. Uh, Lord, we bless you for the food. We ask that you join with us in conversation, that you join with, with us as we play and just have joy together. Be blessed by it as you bless us in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance for you. Just look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ. And remember, there's plenty of food. So show preference to people.